Here in Vancouver, very excited to be joined by Cicely Blaine, diversity and inclusion consultant and activist in Vancouver. She was introduced to us by our very good friend, Dave Ogle, who I understand they're doing some work together. And we are on the hunt for these juicy conversations from people like you that are activists that care to take a stand and help us change our points of view. So I'm really excited and super grateful that you would jump on this podcast with us today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I want to dive right in. And as I was sharing with you before we hit record, I am, I'm curious about things that might not appear on your website or on the internet and in the world of consulting and, and specifically diversity and inclusion right now, where there's a broad space of, you know, who's doing the work and, and how is it best done? I want to start with a big, perhaps open-ended question that just says, how do you spend your days right now? Mm-hmm. Great question. I think what I love about what I get to do is that each day is different. I get to be all over Vancouver, all over the lower mainland, sometimes even further, and just like interacting with different communities, learning more about different workspaces, and trying to integrate diversity and inclusion in different ways. I, I really like to take people on a journey through DNI because I don't think it can be as simple as just, you know, a one hour workshop here or there. I think it has mm. to be like a long term process. And so I really enjoy getting to spend time with organizations, doing surveys, gathering data, one on ones, roundtables, just really getting to know like the people, what the organization or company means to them and how it can be better for their experience as a worker and then also for the communities that they serve. Mm. And so it's always a pleasure to be sort of, yeah, to sort of dig deep into organizations and like support them with that growth. And so it's not just kind of like a a box checking situation, which I think diversity and inclusion can be if it's not done thoroughly or genuinely. So Mm. I really appreciate, yeah, just sort of getting to know people and the myriad of people I get to meet and the, different places I get to travel and see the work that people are doing. And it's always such a pleasure to see people sort of in their element doing the good work and then be able to support them in that journey as well. Amazing. I don't want this to appear ignorant, but I just want to ask perhaps the elephant in the room that when we speak about diversity and inclusion, and you're right, it's totally been a box or in the past, it has felt like a box to be checked. And now Mm -hmm. we know it to be so much more. But can you share your perspective of what actually is fully encaptured in in the world that is D&I right now? Great question. I think it's changing. It's evolving for sure. I think I haven't been in the game super long, but what I have noticed is previously diversity and inclusion used to very much be about having sort of tolerant workspaces. And I think we need to move beyond that so that we're actually making an effort to celebrate the individuality of people rather than just tolerate and say, you know, we are okay with you being here. We actually have to be in a space where it's more like you genuinely want diverse humans and we want different ideas, different backgrounds, different races, different genders to bring their perspectives to the table because that really is what makes makes the difference. It makes a transformative change. There's mm-hmm. so much evidence and research out there that suggests that 
diversity has such a huge impact on, on, on a business's scalability, longevity, profitability. And so, you know, we sort of moved away from the more like fluffy ideas of belonging and workplace and respect for workplaces, which are really valuable concepts. But I think what they miss is the hard work as well, like those really vulnerable and challenging conversations about gender inequality and about racism in the workplace and homophobia in the workplace. And I really encourage people to actually have those conversations because I think if we sort of just gloss over them and use language like, yeah, inclusive workplaces, but not recognizing the fact that unfortunately we don't live in an inclusive world and there are people and there are communities who experience marginalization in different ways, which then impacts or even prohibits their access to workspaces and especially prohibits their access to leadership positions. We can see that for women, for minorities, for immigrants, that journey to being in a position of leadership is, is much more challenging. And so what I'm encouraging people to do is not just say, okay, let's treat everybody equally, but let's go beyond that. Let's actually recognize the existing systemic inequalities and be a really intentional part of changing that. It's so powerful because what I'm hearing is we need to shift from tolerating to almost thriving. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, celebrating that. One perspective that I do hear often though is how do I find a more diverse crew, crowd, group of people to recruit from? Where am I not looking or where are we going when it can feel so, dare I say, the same? you know, from whether it's the color of someone's skin to a gender, you know, no secret, especially while we live here in Vancouver, that feels rather white and rather male dominated. So Mm -hmm. what can we be doing differently? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's so many things. And for me, one of the key pieces is around unconscious bias. You know, I was mentioning to you before we started recording that we're doing some workshops around unconscious bias. And it's so interesting to look at how that manifests in a workspace and how that because it is such a personal thing, like it's inside our brains, but at the same time, it, it has an impact on, on who gets hired and who gets jobs and who gets promoted and who gets cool projects to work on. And, and it's, it's a natural part of who we are as human beings, right? To want to protect ourselves, to want to work with people who look like us, mm. act like us, sound like us. But at the same time, that's a prohibitor to more diverse workspaces. And so for me, like the, the, fir- the very, very first piece of this work is that sort of acknowledgement and understanding of our own identities, specifically for people in leadership, to take that time to do some reflective processing of even just being able to acknowledge and say like, hey, you know, I'm a white guy, I'm a CEO, I am the majority of CEOs, only 5% of CEOs in Canada are female. I'm sure the number is much less for those who are women of color, right? And so just having, just even beginning those very foundational conversations of people recognizing that And it's hard work because it makes people feel anxious and vulnerable to be confronted in that way. And it's not saying, it's not saying that you don't belong there or your job will be taken away or you'll be replaced. It's just saying in that position of power and authority, you have a a responsibility and an accountability to then uplift others and support them in that journey. And so for me, it's very much about awareness and acknowledgement is the first step. And then also looking at other things like how do we write job descriptions? Like some really interesting research coming out about how do people apply for jobs? Where do they find their jobs? Which sites are you posting jobs on? Are you only doing internal hiring, which can lead to that sort of like same, same, same situation if you're only 
if you only do word of mouth, you're obviously only going to get people who are like you. Those small things that really do have an impact on who's applying. Because I definitely recognize that kind of response of like, okay, we're, we're open, we're inclusive, but nobody's applying. It's a systemic thing. It's definitely not solely the responsibility of the employer. It's, you know, a lot of my clients are in the tech industry. And for example, that goes way, way back to like when we're children, right? Girls are told they're not good at science. They're not good at math. And so they're not going to apply to those jobs. So it's a whole systemic issue. And I don't expect that all to be solved by the employer. But I do think there are ways that we can just be a bit more open-minded about how we're reaching out to people rather than just saying, hey, here's, an, here's a job description. Why don't you apply? Maybe creating, creating mentorship opportunities for women in tech, going out to universities and speaking with young women and saying, here's a, here's a job you could apply for. So it's like, it's hard work because it really requires that extension beyond your usual circles. But I do think it's possible. I love it. Do you see this come up in other areas of, of your life or the, the work that you're in beyond just the workplace? Yes, I think so. I think, it, I think these kind of learnings, these things that I like to talk about are applicable across so many spaces. I do a lot of event planning as well mm. as, as part of my work. And I think that's also a key place where like people should really try to focus on inclusion and especially accessibility as well. The whole point of event planning is like you're creating a community, you're creating a space where you want people to come together and feel a sense of belonging, right? And so, yeah, I also notice in that aspect, you know, no matter what the event is, even if it's a lunch and learn, or even if it's your wedding, like you want people to come and feel a sense of, of respect and belonging. And so there's so many ways that I see those same concepts can be applied there, even if it's just like a casual social event. A lot of things that I've learned from my background as an activist is, and that sort of like the way that grassroots activism sort of works is very sort of, commun of course, community oriented and really focuses on the needs of communities. And so that's where I've learned a lot of things about physical accessibility and like financial barriers. So for example, when I, now when I plan events, I've changed it so that I wouldn't charge one price for a ticket, I would do it sliding scale. So like if you're low income, you can pay like a lower price or if you're feeling generous, you can pay a higher price. Mm. Um, just like those small things that really make a difference in terms of inclusion. So yeah, I really do think that these concepts can be applied to all areas of our lives for sure. I'm fascinated. Now, undeniably, we recognize that you have an accent and you aren't, <laughs> uh, you aren't natively from Canada, mm -hmm. yet you chose to come to Vancouver for university. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah, I'm from England. I was born and raised in London. And then I came to Vancouver to go to UBC. And I guess I never left. <laughs> <laughs> and why Vancouver? Well, initially it was really just because UBC was offering me a scholarship. Yeah, I really did sort of fall in love with the city. I'm not a particularly outdoorsy person, but it is nice to be close to the beach, close to nature. And I do think, especially now that I'm doing this work, I've traveled to other places and I'm not, I, I feel like Vancouver is just very ready for, for this work, very ready to be having these conversations. And that's maybe less applicable in other places. So it does feel like a really good place. And I do feel like there's a lot of things going on in Canada and in BC that are sort of pioneering lots of stuff around inclusion, whether that's in healthcare. You know, we've recently had like MSP now covering like transgender surgeries, things like that. So I do feel like 
BC is really a place that's pioneering like greater inclusion and social innovation and diversity. So it's really, it feels like a good place to be doing this work. That is super cool. Yeah. I, that was actually going to be my next question is what does Vancouver need now or where do you see the opportunity for, for our you know, little small but mighty city on, on the map to make its mark? I think it would be really nice to see support from the local government, especially from like the city of Vancouver and other cities in the lower mainland, to be backing this work a little bit more because what I'm noticing is, especially for nonprofit organizations, funding is a huge issue when, especially when it comes to these sort of, I don't know, things that don't immediately fit within the organization's work. So anything like hiring a facilitator to do training, those are all like additional things that are going to be a huge cost. And so it'd be really nice to see some more specific funding that people could apply for around getting anti-oppression training, getting diversity training. And I've seen that, you know, pop up in some places, which is really nice. Hmm. but I think there could be more incentive to do that work. Like, for example, what we're seeing with the trend around sustainability, for example, where you get sort of rewarded for your commitments to sustainability. And, you know, we try to be a green city and that's part of the identity of Vancouver. I'd really like to see that in terms of diversity and inclusion as well hmm. as like, you know, let's create like benchmarks of, Oh, you know, by, 2025 all companies should have xyz in terms of diversity and inclusion that kind of thing so i think it would be nice to see that as a incentive i guess it's that's a brilliant call out and i love the idea i i mean as an athlete i love the idea of a finish line i love the idea <laughs> of putting a date to it because it feels like we can be in this forever quest you know i did recently hear i think it was the fortune 500 companies of california needed to have gender balanced boards of directors by 2020 uh, you know things like that i feel are really powerful stakes in the ground and something I'm very passionate about is not celebrating small incremental change. And while I think small incremental change is great, it's actually about turning the dial significantly because small isn't good enough anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a conversation I'm very passionate about is, is gender equality yet even in the, this, you know, these short time with you, I realized like gender equality almost feels like a thing of the past. If we're not looking beyond just a binary gender conversation. There's yeah, so much more to this, and yet it still feels like we're, you know, behind there. You mentioned Vancouver, or I mentioned Vancouver. You riff; it's beautiful, but it has me interested. Are there any cities that you look to as leaders in this space that you think are doing it well, or even organizations for that matter that are really um, mm -hmm. showing up as as leaders? Ooh, that's a great question. Um... In terms of cities, I haven't really seen so much, but I think what I really appreciate is my, my clients are sort of all over the place, but especially from the corporate side, it's really nice to see companies who kind of like come out and publicly acknowledge their shortcomings. And so I've seen that take place with um, the National Geographic and also oh. Mech as well. I don't know if you've seen, but basically... Something that really inspired me was a friend of mine posted on Instagram a while ago saying, how come everybody in a mech commercial is white? That mm. implies that people of color never go outdoors, which is mm. not true. Mm. Um, and so she just posted that, didn't really think anything of it. But then actually the CEO of CEO. Mech yeah. Yeah, got in touch with her and was like, you're right. This is a, a real shortcoming of the company. We've misrepresented people, which means people don't see themselves 
groups represented and have therefore been excluded and are less likely to buy our products, which Mm -hmm. is a disservice to the community and obviously a disservice to the company too. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a really interesting thing to watch of like recognizing that mistake, not shying away from it, but actually kind of being humble and, and leaning into it and saying, in the past, we didn't do things as well as we could have done. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we are bad people. It's just a shortcoming of those sort of unconscious biases or this is how we've always done things. So let's continue to do it that way thing that we do as people. And so, yeah, I think that was really interesting. And National Geographic did something of the same where they sort of talked about their I guess, complicity in colonialism in the past, misrepresenting certain communities, especially like African cultures, for example, how they've made mistakes in the past that could have been racist or could have been offensive and how they're now making specific and tangible commitments, you know, bringing on board more voices so that they don't make those mistakes again. Mm. And I think, yeah, you can really see the sort of, the difference between companies who kind of like silence any sort of dissenting voices and then the ones who actually lean into it and then make change. And I think like for myself as a millennial and in Vancouver as well, I think a lot of people are very conscious consumers. Mm. And so I do believe that in 10, 20 years, if you're not economically friendly and environmentally friendly, affordable and sustainable and inclusive, you probably won't be getting business anymore. So I think Obviously, for me, I'm passionate about how people feel and that sense of inclusion, but I do genuinely believe there's also a financial and profitable element to this as well. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned the sustainable piece, I feel like sometimes it's easier perhaps for, I I want to say, I feel like it's easier to digest an idea of an action that we can take to be perhaps more environmentally friendly or more environmentally sustainable. And yet to your point, I think being more inclusive is actually more sustainable for all of us and it's healthier and it's, it just feels like a necessary thing. I mean, (laughs) cycle and we should have open minds yet. Sometimes this is a space where we don't know what we can do and, you know, be it unconscious bias or, perhaps how people were raised or where they were raised, they might not think of it top of mind in the same way. And so I'm just wondering if you could suggest or leave us with one or two of the things that we could be doing differently or better um, right away, you know, regardless, you don't have to be a CEO and you can still start doing this. What would be your suggestion? I think my main suggestion is to just, sounds kind of cheesy, but I would say just like, diversify your life like if that makes sense yeah I think people should like one of the workshops that I host is about unlearning anti-blackness and you know the black population in Vancouver is quite small and so people are like oh I don't really understand how I can support so my my recommendation is you know just read more books by black authors buy some art by black artists you know, try to make meaningful connections and relationships with people who are different from you because Mm -hmm. if we continue to surround ourselves with the same kind of people will never understand anybody else's experience and we'll just continue to not intentionally, but we'll continue to perpetuate biases. So I think one small tangible thing that every human can do is being more compassionate with other people's experiences and making 
a distinct effort to go to an event you wouldn't usually go to, go to a poetry night and hear some stories of refugees and immigrants, go to an LGBTQ event and like learn about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is a plethora of that in Vancouver. And I think we're quite lucky that we have a diversity of experiences we can learn from. And it's really hard to do that because we sort of get in the motions and we just live our days. And then it's really hard to like weave in those those changes. But I, I think it can be really powerful to just be open-minded to other people's experiences. Totally. Well said. Well said. We're at time. And as I promised, our last question, as per always on this podcast, is what is currently making your heart beat faster? I am making a short film with some friends. Ah. Um, yeah, we're trying to document the experiences of microaggressions in the workplace. Wow. I'm really excited that will be, I'll be using it as like a tool within my workshops to kind of make them more dynamic and interactive. So I'm pretty excited about that. That is very cool. And we will link below in our show notes of all of the places people can go to find you online. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? I guess just the idea that I know that this can feel like super overwhelming and Mm. sometimes we feel completely powerless. So I, I think it's just to remember that even as an individual, we can make a really small difference, even if it's just, you know, trying to use more inclusive language or trying to use gender neutral language, that the power really is in the individual for sure. Amen. Well, thank you for being an individual who is not only taking a stand, but dedicating their life to (laughs) helping educate the rest of us. And Vancouver is lucky to have you here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to when I'm, seeing your short film on the screen. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for having me.